As they did so, their hearts beat more slowly, and their bodies cooled. Eventually, they would not be able to awaken until spring. Those that were still running across the rock slides whistled to each other, like children calling their dogs. The lion tasted the wind with his tongue and nose. It tasted of another change, the change of aging and ripening. The wind bore the scent of sweet huckleberries, ripe gooseberries, and twinberries. This change did not interest the mountain lion, for he was a meat-eater, or carnivore. Having looked, smelled, and tasted, the young lion now listened. He rotated his ears. The elk and deer had changed their direction. They were no longer climbing among the peaks, but were moving downward. He heard them snapping branches in the forest below. Since spring they had been wandering upward toward the alpine meadows as the melting snow uncovered sweet grasses. Now the grasses were dying, the growing season of the high country was ending, and like the birds, the deer and elk were on migration. Their migration, however, was not south, but down the mountain, and this concerned the lion. The deer and elk were his staff of life. He had moved up the mountain with them in the spring, harvesting the weak and infirm as he went. At about 5,000 feet above sea level, where the trees stopped and the rocks, ice, and alpine prairies took over, the young lion had denned for the summer. His shelter was a twisted thicket of alpine firs, the last trees to withstand the driving wind and stunting cold at the tops of the mountains. They marked the timber line beyond which no trees grow. Tonight, the elk and deer were 2,000 feet below the lion in a lower and therefore different kind of forest. On mountains, the forests change with the altitude, the tougher trees braving the rugged heights. The lion could smell the pungent cedars the herds were trampling lower down the mountain. He must follow. Before he entered the forest, he stopped in the last alpine meadow and tipped his ears forward. An elk had injured his foot in a crevasse several days ago and was limping through the trees. Da thump, thump, thump. The lion swished his tail. This animal was wounded. In the scheme of things, he would falter and eventually be harvested. Slowly, the lion crossed the meadow. Beneath his feet, a different sort of change was taking place. Spring was beginning. Under the leaf stems of the tiny alpine willow trees, no taller than a thumb, new buds were forming. This was happening not only on the mountain, but all across the northern United States and Canada. Next year's willows, elm, maple, beech, and apple leaf buds were forming. As they emerged... The cells that brought food and water to the old leaves shut down. When these were sealed off, the leaves would lose their chlorophyll, turn yellow, red, orange, or gold, and fall to the ground. The young lion stopped at the edge of the forest and listened. He had lost sight and sound of the limping elk, so he climbed a leaning cedar to search for him. Lean and muscular, the lion was magnificently beautiful. Tawny in color, he had black smudges under his eyes and along his nose. 
His back was as straight as a leveling rod, his paws immense. His tail was tipped with black and almost as long as he. It touched the ground and curled up at the end. He weighed more than two hundred pounds. He was a cougar, or mountain lion, of North America. Almost as large as African lions, cougars are the second largest species of cat in the New World. Only jaguars surpass them in length and weight. A hundred years ago, mountain lions were abundant in all the mountains of the United States and Canada. Now they are rare in the United States and found only in the lonely wilderness areas of the West, Southwest, and Florida. Washington's Olympic Peninsula, a land barely touched by humans, still has its appropriate number of mountain lions. Because of their presence, the elk and deer do not become so numerous.